you've surrendered to the enemy. And therefore, you get more and more depraved. I mean, you start out looking at a little... I mean, if you just look at television now, any sitcoms or anything else, that's, that's light pornography. I mean, the stuff that's on television now, just everyday mainstream housewife looking at home television is, would be in the time when I grew up, hardcore pornography that wouldn't be allowed in any way, shape, or form, you know. So, you know, so you start with wherever you start, and it just agitates it, it agitates it. And then you go a little further, and then that's never enough. See, lust is never satisfied. It only swells like the tide. There's some grim statistics about this subject. How, and I don't have them in front of me, and it's it's some time ago when I read them, so the numbers are probably going to be inaccurate. <clears throat> so I'll just generalize it and say a large percentage of girls at nine years old have already been exposed to hardcore pornography. So, a, a large percentage. I'm not going to say the majority, and I don't remember the percent, you know, but it was, it was a shocking percent. It's not like one person, but, but like, yeah, it was in the 40s or something, 50, I don't remember. But nine-year-old girls have been exposed to pornography, and this is girls, this is not guys. I mean, you kind of think guys are more prone to that subject and, you know, more drawn into it and attracted to it, which is probably correct. But when you talk about girls at that young age being involved in this, you can see what the future is going to be, you know, because it's a drug. It's, it's just another drug. It's an addictive, and it's more addictive than what we normally consider drugs. And let's go into the, the why of, of the, the addiction and, and the, the very difficult task of overcoming it. And it's, it's quite easy to understand if you accept the true teaching and the true teaching is we are spirit soul, right? We've already discussed that probably every podcast. <laughs> and we're spiritual beings. And our real, true nature, uncontaminated, unpolluted nature, is we are controlled by love. That, I mean, that's, that's the pure condition of the soul. In the spiritual world, the controlling force is love, which is the most wonderful condition of all. When a person is controlled by and acting under the influence of love, then their life is perfect. And I'm not talking about love we know. I'm talking about pure, divine, spiritual love. But when the soul comes into the material world, it becomes contaminated by the perverted reflection of love, which is lust. Lust is the upside-down version of love. That means it has the opposite effect, the opposite influence, and the opposite result. So that's why I described in Bhagavad Gita that lust is the all-devouring, sinful enemy of the world. If you want to have one force that will destroy your life more than any other possibility, it's lust. And all the other destroying factors in life, 
mean destroy your consciousness, your happiness, your, your outlook on life, uh, your ability to truly love, etc., etc. They're all coming from the source of lust. That's where they come from, whether it's greed for money, whether it's greed for power, whether it's the anger and, and the envy and the jealousy. It's all stemming from lust. And it, it, it continues on that, you know, from lust comes anger. And we've talked about this before, and that's why, you know, everybody to greater or lesser degrees is angry on an obvious overt level or on a subtle level. Even the depressions and, and all the things people are struggling with is a, some type of anger. We're angry, we're not happy, we're angry. You know, and if, if God is even a, a subject that a person looks at, they're basically angry at God because I'm not happy. My life is not as I want it to be. You know, the body you gave me is not the body I want. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All our problems in life, if you have God in that formula of life at all, and most people do not, then it's your fault. It's, it's, it's God's fault. <clears throat> so, anyway, back to our subject of pornography. Of the, the forces of lust, in other words, the different uh, influences it may exert on us, the most powerful force is sex. Lust personified is sex desire because that's where the lust manifests in its strongest form. And that's why lust is so difficult for everybody to deal with. So, I mean, excuse me, sex is, is so difficult for everybody to deal with. Because it's so, it's so part of us. It's like who we are. It's like it's a force that you're born with, it seems like. And as you mature from, you know, a baby on up to, you know, very young boy and, you know, or girl, it, it just gets stronger and stronger until you come to puberty and then it's just out of control. And maybe you, you somehow avoided intoxication from, you know, alcohol and the various drugs on the market today. And, you know, maybe you've avoided a lot of the pitfalls. But that one is something everybody's struggling with. See, and it's so encompassing. I mean, you know, it's just not like a choice almost. It's like it's automatically there. It's just a biological reality. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it's natural, so why try to suppress it or why try to, you know, to, to not do whatever that demands? And, of course, we know what the ultimate culmination is in intercourse. And that's why at a very young age, you know, kids are starting to, to look, you know, at the opposite sex in a different way. They're not just, you know, a girl or a boy. They are, you know, now a whole different object of attraction and pleasure. You know, and you're looking at the body and, and different parts of the body and the developing of the body and yours and theirs and so on and so on as a very, very huge object of interest. You know, it's not just a casual thing. It's like a magnet. So that's built in, and therefore, that's why Scripture is telling people, whether you study one, you know, teaching or another teaching, you know, it's all promoting, controlling that, and minimizing that influence. You know, try to downplay it, try to dress in a certain way, try to, to minimize the male-female contacts or whatever, you know, to, to don't light that fire kind of thing. You know, don't agitate that 
kind of keep it at bay, just minimize it as much as possible, you know. And so, you know, that's why, like, I grew up in a Christian world, and, you know, it was told not only is this wrong, I mean, it's a sin or whatever, however, that's the way it was presented to us, you know, but also kind of keep some distance from that subject and, you know, don't expose your senses to it unnecessarily and, you know, downplay it and, and et cetera, et cetera. That's why we had separated sport teams, the guys and the girls and the locker rooms and, the, you know, the association in various settings was kind of controlled, you know, to kind of keep that fire, you know, <laughs> from springing up. But, you know, of course, you know, there was always the desire to minimize those rules and, oh, it's not so important or it's natural and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the standard was there. Let's, let's say it like that. Whether you followed the standard, et cetera, it wasn't just openly said, yeah, it's okay. The, the message was, it's not okay, you know. And so just deal with it, you know, wait your time, and, and then at the, when the time is right and you get married, then there's another whole area where you can exercise these desires and have a nice family and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's how I was raised. That was the teaching. I'm not saying I followed that perfectly, which I did not. But that was my standard teaching that was there to lead me in the right direction, so to speak. But all that's been gone. I mean, that's gone, you know. That's, that's history. And so now the opposite influence has been promoted. Like everywhere, thing has, everything has been sexualized. Bring it to the forefront. This is what you should do. It's not what you shouldn't do. And if anybody even brings up the idea of trying to control your sexual desires and, and, and you know, minimize the activities that promote it, they're seen as the enemy. They're backward. They're not progressive. You know, they're, they're making it so people can't develop as they should. And, and all those things you're promoting are hang-ups that will certainly psychically damage people, you know, and, and they'll just be damaged for life if you try to promote that. And what they, they, they fail to add to that philosophy is that you have to replace it with something, something that's, that's of, of a higher nature that that gives you a, a higher taste or gives you some, some real desire to control it. Not just keep it under the lid and until and it just bursts out, but actually replace it with spiritual happiness, spiritual taste, see, and spiritual understanding of what is good for me in my life, spiritually. So this gives a person another whole idea about the subject. It's not just a goody-goody philosophy. Oh, be good, and don't do that, you know. But actually, coming to understand, this is more healthy for me. This is, and if you're actually engaging in spiritual activities that are giving you a higher taste, then you can say, well, yeah, that has a certain taste, but it's, it's not the taste that's really fulfilling me. It's just agitating me. It's just causing me a lot of pain and struggle. And, you know, and it, the, the result of all of that is certainly not making anybody happy. You know, and look at all the problems I have gotten into, maybe, or could get into, by just do what you want to do. If it feels good, do it. You know, I mean, look at the, the impact on 
on a person's life. You know, if they're very active in this department, you got STDs. You know what that is? Sexually transmitted diseases. I mean, they're all over the place, you know. And, and you know, ones that weren't even kind of known before are now common. You know, so you you got to deal with that, you know. And all the unwanted pregnancies and the anxiety, oh, my God, is she pregnant or not? You know, or, you know, I didn't take any precautions and now I'm waiting for those number of days and see if, if there is pregnancy or not. You know, on both sides, the guy and the girl. You know, and... You know, then, oh, she, there is pregnancy. Oh, my God, now what are we going to do? So now we've got to enter into the solutions to that problem. You know, have the kid, you know, go somewhere, put it up for adoption, or, you know, just come together. We're not really wanting to be together on the real long-term level, but maybe we should do that. Or, you know, now the common thing is just have an abortion. The morning after pill, I mean, the... The science community has created a lot of options here. You know, the morning after pill, just enjoy it tonight, take the pill tomorrow, don't have to worry about it anymore. But, but that degrades the consciousness. That degrades the heart. I mean, that's really not a, not a, a direction that's beneficial for anybody. And lust is the all-divine and sinful enemy of the world. You've surrendered to the enemy, and therefore you get more and more depraved. I mean, you start out looking at a little, I mean, if you just look at television now, any sitcoms or anything else, that's, that's light pornography. I mean, the stuff that's on television now, just everyday mainstream housewife looking at home television is, would be in the time when I grew up, hardcore pornography, they wouldn't be allowed in any way, shape, or form, you know. So, you know, so you start with wherever you start, and it just agitates it, it agitates it. And then you go a little further, and then that's never enough. See, lust is never satisfied. It only swells like the tide. You can't satisfy it. It just demands more. So then you go further, and, and you know, then further, and you know, the, the just glancing at it becomes, you know, steady watching it and then long periods of time and then organized websites, you know, on your, your porn, you know, page that, that you go to for this kind of porn and that kind of porn. And, and then it's not good enough with adults. And you got to go to child pornography, you know, and, and it just gets more and more degraded. And then you go to bestiality and you know, it just takes you down further, and it's just, there's no, there's no bottom here, you know. And it's just destroying a person from the inside. His consciousness, which started out, we'll all just have a little look for a little pleasure, you know, becomes so dark and so degraded that, that it's like, you know, the worst thing you can imagine, you know, the horror show. What used to be, you know, okay, this is, this is enough. It's not good enough now, you know, and I got to do, do something more extreme. It's gone all over the place now, attracted to anything and everything. You know, it doesn't matter what sex it is, doesn't matter what species it is, you know, it doesn't matter any particular age group, you know, so the, the more depraved it is, the more attractive it becomes. So the real standard stuff, <laughs> that's boring. I mean, that, that's like old school. That's like, you know, it doesn't hold any attraction anymore. We've got to get some new stimulation. we got some, get some, you know, more depraved, you know, action. And then that's not good enough. And it, like, we, you know, it's, again, it's just like, where does it end? It doesn't end. You know, and so your friend who you said was struggling with a porn addiction, you know, at least 
he recognizes it's not okay. He's struggling with it because he thinks, well, I shouldn't be doing this. I mean, he's in an elite group. He's actually realized something there that, that most people would say, well, you're weird, you know, you just got to hang up. You know, the majority of people don't think it's not okay. They think it's not okay for anybody to try to restrict it, to, to think it's not okay, to struggle with it. You know, and any laws or any, you know, media outlets or any, anything that tries to, to stop it or restrict it or limit it should be done away with. You know, and just let the, the river run. And so your friend is at least in an in a advantageous position to even deal with it. I mean, just like drug addiction, until a person is trying to quit, I don't care how many rehab clinics he goes to, if he doesn't want to quit, it's just a waste of time and money because he has no desire to be rehabbed. You know, he's sitting in the rehab center waiting when he can get out and go get some more alcohol or, or drugs or whatever his addiction may be. He hasn't come to that point, you know. And if you look at most of the people who have recovered from porn addiction or alcohol or drugs of various types, of, you know, they had to bring God into their life to give them the strength to be able to do it. They couldn't just, in their own mind, decide one day, okay, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm going to somehow solve this problem. It, because they can't. They have to bring in a higher power. You know, so the, the most successful rehab program on the planet is that, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Now they probably got a Pornography Anonymous. I don't know. But... The point is they have to surrender to a higher power. And that's one of the steps in the 12-step program because there is where they will receive enough strength from within and enough desire to get out of this addiction to be able to be successful. And I think we've talked about that in previous podcasts, but it... It comes back to that. You know, there's a lot of money in that industry. You know, and wherever there's money, there's going to be the huge potential for corruption. You know, and, and money makes you blind to the, the damage that's being done and the exploitation that's being done to other people. You don't care. I mean, 100,000 people died of fentanyl a fentanyl, or however you pronounce it, in the United States last year. Well, you think the drug dealers that are bringing that stuff in care about that? I mean, they could care less. You know, they know that what they're bringing into America, you know, is going to kill a lot of people, but they don't care. You know, because their money is, I mean, their pockets are full of money. And so... This is the next generation here, whatever generation we're talking about. And it's going to just be, you know, on that level of consciousness. And then the next generation, if it continues, will be worse and worse. We're going to talk about that, I think, in the future, about where this all leads to in the long term. And, uh, you know, my generation was far from that, you know, and now... You know, however many generations later, there's a few. <laughs> Each one has, you know, just been more open, more easy with this, more okay with this. And now we got things happening that you couldn't even dream about previously. And uh, like I said, you have to turn to the Supreme. You have to if you're going to be successful. You know. And... That's what we're promoting. That's what we're offering. That's, that's what, you know, we as individuals have done. You know, and it's not like there's no desire going to be there. Some people, 
you know, think, oh, well, you know, that's going to make it so I have no desire. No, it doesn't mean like that. You know, Bhagavad Gita, you know, the Lord clearly states that desires are like, you know, incessant rivers that run into the ocean. You know, we have a, a stream, a steady stream of desire, but you see it from a different angle. You're not a victim of it. You don't, you know, embrace it and think, oh, well, this is where my happiness lies. You know it's not the truth. And it's going, and you know where that takes you. You know what the result of that is. And you make a choice. No, I don't need to do that. But again, you've got to replace it with a higher taste. So we don't only say learn this philosophy and, and don't do that, but engage in this activity which will give you a deeper pleasure, a whole nother understanding of what life is about and, and a, a real hope. You know, there's a, a joy here, a, a real bright light, you know, something that's, that's going to take you, the spirit soul, to where you can be truly happy and truly satisfied. And you experience that. It's not just a teaching. It's an actual realization, gradually, gradually. And so it becomes more and more easy to not do those things, that the desire may still be there. You go, man, I'm, I'm not going to do that. You know, anybody that's become a vegetarian understands that the desire for eating meat may occur sometime, especially in the beginning, but you say, I'm not going to do that. You know, it's not good for me. It's not my body, my mind, the animals, the environment. You know, I'm not going to support that industry. More compassion occurs and so on. And you, you just don't do it, you know, because you've got a higher understanding. Like you had this realization, you know, I'm supporting this industry and it's a lot of exploitation and I don't want to be involved in it. That's the higher understanding. And, I, and, and with that comes more determination. But you continued on and actually began to taste something that replaced it, you know. So we have to start where we have to start. So your friend is struggling with it, then he needs to add that which brings true health, <clears throat> true health for the consciousness, the heart, the mind. See, So a spiritually healthy person is, is strong. I mean, like in physical health, if you're healthy, you're strong. And if you're diseased, you're weak. So... If, if your friend can, you know, accept that he needs to do something active to take him away from that, not just sit there and struggle with not doing it every day. I mean, it's all just a click away, right? You know, and you've been there, you know how easy it is. And so just, okay, I'm not going to do it. It's like a, an alcoholic going to the bar, you know, and you don't go to the bar. <laughs> you know, you got to do something else, though, other than just not go to the bar. You got to have a, a higher taste, a better life. Association, so important. See, that's like a guy going to the doctor, and the doctor says, Okay, you got cancer. And if you want to cure it, this is what you got to do. You got to take this medication, whatever it is. You know, this chemo treatment, whatever. I, there's all kinds of ideas on that subject. But, and he goes, okay, I'll take chemo today because I feel like it. But nobody feels like that. I mean, chemo is not something that feels good. I never talked to anybody. I said, boy, that was cool. I really liked that chemo. I felt so good afterward. I mean, the puking and hair falls out and whatever, whatever. But why do they keep doing it? Because the idea is, I don't want to do it. I hate this thing. But it'll cure my cancer. I mean, this is the theory. It very seldom really does that. But, you know, that's another point. But why do they go through all that intense pain and suffering and, you know, hair loss and everything falls off and they lose weight? And because they might get cured. Well, what we're saying will cure you. You know, it's not just like I like to chant today so it will, but tomorrow I don't so I won't. 
Because that's a guy that's still just doing what he feels like doing. He's not really looking for a cure. He just wants to do what he wants to do. And now he doesn't want to do for not pornography, but he's addicted. So how does he struggle with that? We give him the solution. Well, you know, I don't chant all the time. Meaning he doesn't really believe what, he, what, what the teaching is. He's not really convinced yet. He's not really convinced that this is a better life. You know, so he's still under the influence of that addiction and will be until he makes that decision. It is his choice. But if he asks you the question, you've got to give him the true answer, which you do, I'm sure. You know, and... Uh, you know, one time, this is, a, this is a story on a completely different level, but years ago, you know, we had a community. Our spiritual master was living there. It was an ashram-type setting, and this couple came, and they, you know, were interested. They, they stayed. They, they became part of the community and so on, and so... One day, the, the boy was struggling with some issues. I don't know exactly what issues, but internal stuff, you know, whatever it was. And so he went to our spiritual master and asked him if he could talk to him. And he said, sure, yes. So they had <clears throat> a meeting, and this person started just telling our spiritual master his problem. And my spiritual master stopped him and said, wait a minute, are you chanting your beads? This is one of our meditations that we do, chanting mantras on beads. It's called japa meditation. He said, are you chanting your japa meditation as I prescribed to you? He had given him some specific instruction to do a certain number of Browns on his Joppa beads every day, etc. And and so this boy said, uh, "No, I'm not." He said, "Well, you know, don't waste my time. You're just wasting my time. You know, I gave you what to do to solve your problems. You don't do it. Then what am I supposed to do? You're just wasting my time." And it's kind of like that, you know. If you do what is prescribed to solve the problem and you don't do it, then who's to blame here? You know. So it's, it's got to be like that on an individual basis. One time <clears throat> someone was speaking to, to, again, to our spiritual master and was describing, you know, this kind of a situation with somebody they knew. And they said, and so why doesn't, why don't they want to, to take to this process? Why don't they want to do what is so easy to do? And he said, because they haven't suffered enough. You know, they still think, oh, the world's got all these things to offer me, and, you know, so they haven't suffered enough to realize, okay, I need some help. You know, a lot of times, you don't go to the dentist until the pain really hits. Right? You know? Maybe you know you got a cavity, or maybe you probably got some cavity, hadn't been to the dentist a long time, but you don't go, oh, it's, it's all right, nothing's happening. But then you get that toothache, you know, and there's no denying the problem. You start suffering, you go to Dennis. So, you know, you got to understand it's got to be some intelligence exercised in the process of life for it to be in any way successful. I mean, the authorities say, go to the dentist at least once a year to get a checkup. Some of them say six months. You know, but you don't do it. You know, that's the intelligent thing to do. Prevention's worth, a, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
or as you guys would say, a gram of prevention is worth a kilo of cure. You know? But uh, the point is, we're not intelligent. We don't exercise intelligence. We're actually very stupid. We exercise the opposite. Just following our impulses of, of material desires of sense gratification is not intelligent. There's no intelligence involved in that. But that's what we do, because we're not intelligent. But if you take to this process and, and you apply it as prescribed, one thing that happens is you gain intelligence. <laughs> Maybe not very much in the beginning, but you gain more intelligence and more intelligence. You know? And intelligence is the opposite of stupidity. With no intelligence, you do stupid things. With intelligence, you avoid doing stupid things. No matter what the desire is. Yeah, I'd like to do that, but intelligence said, but that's stupid. Okay, I'm not going to do it. But if you got no intelligence, I want to do that, you do it. And so again, if you, if you just take this simple formula of chanting these mantras, and especially in association with other people who are like-minded and doing it with conviction, then you will gain intelligence. You will gain some, some completely different experience in life that makes you see, that was stupid. <laughs> this is stupid. I'm not going to do this. And it might be a struggle. It's, it's hard. Like you're addicted, you're addicted. That's a very powerful force. Lust is not some weak little thing that you can just overcome, you know, with a few simple words. It's a very, very powerful force. But there's another force more powerful, and that's the force of love. Love trumps lust every time. So, where does that love come? Supreme Lord. What is contained in the mantras? The Lord's love. It's there. It's available. For anybody and everybody. All we have to do is accept it. Well, I was just at the dentist last Saturday and a week before. But, you know... I do. I had a had a problem, and I I went before. It I didn't have pain. I didn't go because of pain. I just knew I, I got a problem. My tongue told me that I can feel something, and so I, you know, went and yeah, I had a problem. <laughs> you know, even the guy that goes into the mountains, you know, all the time and and skis and hikes and camps and. You know, many of those people are addicted to that. That's mode of goodness. It's very, and, and it's almost worse because it's hard to see that that's not the ultimate best way to live your life. Do that, but add the spiritual aspect to it. You know, just don't think this is my meditation. This is, you know, enough for me because you're going to get old. You're going to die. There's going to be a time when you can't do that anymore, you know, and even if it never occurs, you, you can do it till the end, and the end comes quite quickly for some of these guys, you know. It's still not going to take you away from the material world. It's going to keep you in the material world. This is, this is what people fail to understand, to see. You know, it's so hard to, to convince people of the ultimate goal in life. And we don't have time to go there now, but, you know. But what, you know, that motor goodness lifestyle is a lot better, I can tell you that. It's a lot better than, than the mode of passion and completely controlled with pornography and intoxications and illicit everything and, you know. You know. So, you know, there's different degrees of all of this. 
We're always, you know, we've all been there. I mean, certainly we've been there. And we may still be dealing with that subject, you know, to greater or lesser degrees. You know, it's not, it doesn't just disappear, you know. But you can deal with it correctly, with, with intelligence, with understanding. And you've replaced it with something better, you know. So, replace a higher taste with a lower taste is always a, a positive. And we've all done that. In whatever we're doing, we've all done that. So, I've certainly done it many times over in my life. Well, that was good, but this is better. Materially speaking, this was good. Yeah. Well, it's time, Reuben. We've, we've done it again. We've used up that short hour. <laughs> you know, but if your friend can just you know, watch some of these podcasts or tune into some of our online chanting programs or come and chant with you guys or come over for dinner. I know you guys like to have people over and, you know, just make friends with them. And, you know, as long as he's with you, he's not going to be watching pornography. <laughs> That's that much time during the day. <laughs> you know? So, you know, association and Gradual, gradual, gradual. We're not telling anybody they got to do anything, but we're offering better options in life. You know, a, an intelligent person learns from the suffering of others, and a non-intelligent person learns from his own suffering. So, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, let's have a little chanting. The magic mantras. <laughs> and the magic mantra today is the same as the magic mantra last time. You know what? I just looked at this hat, my own hat. Can you see that? Where is it? Here. I, here, this one. Oh, okay. Anyway, I don't know if you can see it. But this Om sign, that's transcendental sound in this written form like this. So, why don't we chant Om Hari Om? You know, Om Hari Om. Very easy mantra. Everybody knows the mantra Om. Almost everybody, not everybody for sure. But probably our viewers do. And, you know, Hari is... One of the names of the Lord, so Om Hari Om.
little mantra yeah Om Hari Om all right everybody thank you for tuning in thank you for joining thank you for chanting with us yeah anybody that will accept it thank you anybody who won't now maybe later <laughs> you know it's a fact I just thought of this you know whatever goes in is in there like you watch pornography, for instance. It goes in. It's still in there. And 20 years, 40 years, 50, 80 years later, it's still in there. It may be way down in the back somewhere, but it's in there. And who knows when it's going to come up. In the same way, whatever we say, if you're hearing it, it's in there. And we don't know. You don't know. I don't know when it might be relevant and come up. And there it is. Wow. See? So there's no loss here. There is no loss. You can't unhear it. <laughs> yeah. So, Om Hari Om, it's in there somewhere now. All right, once again, thank everybody. We thank Slava here for his technical expertise, our Chintamani team for their vocals. Namaste, Haribol.